Welcome to the Christ Connection Podcast. We are here to help and encourage you to enjoy your adventure with Jesus. I'm your host, Kevin Senapati-Ratna. Let the journey begin. Hello and welcome to the Christ Connection Podcast. My name is Kevin Senapati and I'm so glad you could join us today. And before we jump into our conversation uh, with Pastor Mike Hazeltine, a few housekeeping items. Uh, if you are new to the show, please take a moment to subscribe so that you don't miss any new uh, new ones that come out. Maybe go back and listen to some of the old ones. Uh, uh, pick a few that you like uh, and go back to the, uh, episode zero to kind of hear what we're all about. Uh, but, you know, you kind of just go around and find the ones that interest you. I'm sure there's something that will help you because our goal is to be a resource to your walk with Jesus. Uh, if you're looking for more information, go over to ChristConnection.cc uh, and you'll learn all about us and our ministry, our other podcast, and uh, we can be more of a resource to you because it's all about growing and knowing Jesus more and out of that relationship to see uh, what he would accomplish through you. Now, I have been uh, a person since very young that believe in the power of mentors. Uh, When I first started out in ministry, I was technically 19 when I took my first uh, lead pastorate, which is a little crazy. Uh, But uh, those first nine years uh, before starting this ministry in 2005, it was really, you know... (laughs) deep end of the pool kind of a thing trying to learn to swim and so I was looking for anyone who I could learn from grow with uh, who were, you know, was further down the road who could kind of teach me the ropes of what it was to be in ministry and what that was all about and one of those people was Pastor Mike Hazeltine that you're going to hear from today I was uh, listening to a podcast recently, I haven't finished it actually, by John uh, Maxwell, who is really a mentor from afar for me, but he's talking about the value of mentoring and getting close to people and what they can do for you. And one of the things he said was the value comes from uh, as much what you can pick up from them, not necessarily from what they say, but who they are. And what you're going to see in Pastor Mike today is someone who is authentic, who is real. And one of the things he taught me back those years ago was his love for people. And it just kind of infected me and kind of just by being around him uh, and the joy of ministry and the fun of ministry, all those things that are valuable to all of us in our life and our walk with Jesus. So I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. Uh, I actually do the official intro while I'm with him, so uh, we'll jump into that. Without further ado, my conversation with Mike Hazeltine. My guest today is Mike Hazeltine, pastor of Maranatha Assembly of God in Forest Lake, Minnesota. I've known Pastor Mike for over 15 years. While I was still pastoring, we met uh, about every six weeks to two months for lunch and conversation. I've sat in on his staff meetings and even... Uh, sat in funerals that he's led uh, over the years. Uh, Pastor Mike is known for loving of breaking stereotypes of what pastors and churches should look like. Uh, With his motorcycle riding, car racing, and tattoos, he's not the image that most people would picture of a pastor. The church's creativity has led them to a boxing ring, a blessing of the bike service, and to paraphrase one article on him, people like to get out of their boxes. Pastor Mike doesn't even have a box. Pastor Mike, welcome to the show. 
Hey, thanks. Great to be here, Kevin. Uh, it's good to hang out. As I said in that intro, we've hung out quite a bit over the years, haven't we? <laughs> we have. We've kind of grown a little older together. That's right. Although I don't, I don't think old. I, I think uh, neither of us had hair to start with, but you know. <laughs> uh, this is true. Uh, you know, you and I, we never have a bad hair day. That's true. We're, we feel good about ourselves with the shining sun. Uh, now, <laughs> when I was doing my research, if I'm doing it correct, uh, math correct, which might be a problem, but uh, this year is 40 years of marriage for you. Is that correct? Correct. May 31st, 40 years. Oh, so it's coming up here really quick. It I'd is. Like right on the uh, near yes, where we're we recording. All right. Now, Thought it'd be fun to start there. How did yeah, you and Orlean meet? I've never heard this story. <laughs> oh, um, we were high school sweethearts. Really? I was a senior. She was in 10th grade and at the same high school, of course. And ironically, she was a part of a Bible study with her mom. She was kind of a real dedicated kid at a young age to, to the Lord. And she was going to this Bible study that my parents went to, too. And she did not know me yet. She just knew my mom and dad as these people who kept asking for prayer requests, pray for our sons, pray for our sons, pray for our sons. <laughs> well, eventually she found out, you know, their name. And then they found, she found out in high school one day, she saw me and realized, oh, that's, that's her, you know, their son, you know. And make a long story short, I showed up at uh, a Young Life campaigner Bible study one night. And she was just amazed, going, man, I've been praying for this guy. Here he is. And um, so at that first meeting, I seen this really attractive young lady across the room. And I thought, you know, I like this Bible study stuff. You know? <laughs> um, and again, make a really long story, really sh a little shorter. Uh, at Valentine's Day that year, she sent me this little Valentine's thing. Because after after that, yeah, you know, she knew who I was. She would every once in a while passing in the hall, she'd say hi. And then I knew some of her friends and she sent out emissaries to check on me, you know, and anyway, so she sent me a Valentine's card and I still have the card today. I mean, that's just, I have a little bit of romantic in me. I have that card. It came with two of those little candy hearts. One said, let's kiss. The other one said, kiss me. And I thought, Woo, <laughs> dang. you know, this is, this is going to be good. So I, I asked her out for a date, and boy, the rest, as they say, is history. We dated for three years, got married, and this May 31st coming up is going to be 40 years. Wow. Well, then I have to ask, then, at 40 years of marriage, any marital advice that you would give to either someone just starting out or maybe, you know, a ways in, but you still have a perspective. What anything you'd share with someone? Well, you know, I would jokingly say, just always say yes. Um, but that's just joking. <laughs> in all seriousness, I don't think people put enough preparation time in, in marriage. They 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 marry with the fallacy without really thinking it through. Hey, I want to be happy. Well, of course everybody wants to be happy, but they haven't really thought about their goals. What do you want in life? And then when you're meeting somebody. Do they have the character and the qualities that would want to go the same direction that you're going? And so Orlean and I, although we were young, I mean, she was 18 when we got married. I was 20. We, we clearly understood because we were both committed to the Lord. We understood what we wanted in life. And we talked about these things. 
where people today, they fall in love or fall in lust. They, they mysteriously just want to be happy. And they think that the way to do that is to get married and they marry somebody and they find out, quote, that's the wrong person. When quite honestly, oftentimes they're just as badly at fault for being the wrong person. So my advice would really be, man, slow down. Talk about goals in life. What do you want to accomplish? And don't believe things that he or she says. You watch their actions. What do they do? Okay. Is he hardworking? Is he honest? Is he full of integrity? Does he have character? Um, 40 years of marriage, and I have never raised my voice at my wife. My advice to a woman is always, hey, listen, if he raises his voice at you now, what possibly might he do in the future? Uh, and I know, you know people who get married, and, and he has hit her or had some kind of violence. Man, I tell you what, you need to run from that relationship. I mean, like right now. Don't even hope it's going to get better. No, that's that's good. Uh, people don't think about beyond the, the first couple days or whatever. They're, they're, <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're living in that. Uh, they, you need to think about I'm going to be married to this person for 40 years or, or, or more. Yes. yes. And you just kind of, without thinking, you just think it's all going to work out and all that, you know, it works out with a lot of, you know, one time somebody, a girlfriend of Orlean said, you know, you're really lucky. And Orlean responded, no, we both worked really hard. You know, luck has nothing to do with it, you know? And that's where some, again, people think it's a crapshoot. Well, you got lucky. Uh, no, it really, honestly, it, it doesn't work out that way. Right. And there's a, the investment. You know, when you get married, there's the investment after that, that every day you're making choices about your marriage, that uh, whether it's going to last or whether it's going to be thriving or just surviving. And, and, you, and you both need to realize that, Kevin, you're exactly right. Um, because she's going to change. You're going to change because you're, you're going to be growing. So there's going to be change. How can you adapt to that change? Uh, now, uh, speaking of wives, I, my wife, I said, what, what should I ask Pastor Mike? And she, she knows you. So she, she wanted to know what was the last tattoo you got? Since you're, <laughs> <laughs> since you're, uh, you're Mr. Pastor Tattoo, uh, uh, what, and now uh, you know, you're going to actually um, show me, but uh, you can tell, <laughs> tell me. It would be this this long, big one on my left forearm. Oh wow! It is a, a a piece from Michelangelo. Nice. Michelangelo actually did it in brass, and that and that art piece of art is in San Antonio, Texas, because San Antonio, the patron saint, is Saint Anthony, and uh, Michelangelo's picture that I have tattooed on my forearm here is a picture of Saint Anthony. You can see it, right, Kevin? Yep. Yep. Kind of. So there's Saint Anthony. And surrounding him is a bunch of demons. The demons are pulling at his cloak. They're pulling at his beard. Um, they're just trying to really harass him. And he is as calm as can be. And this was a part of a series from Michelangelo and the early church fathers of the wilderness, the, the wilderness temptations uh, of some of the patron saints. And it depicts the calm of God's saints in the middle of demonic oppression. Wow. So that's, that's what that, that was my last tattoo and it covers my whole left forearm. Hey, was there a specific reason you got that one or it was just like the story, you like the story or? Well, everything involved. I, I like the fact it's got, 
you know, demons on it because it really irritates religious people. <laughs> I like the fact that it has, um, you know, a religious significance. Not that all of my tattoos do, but this one does. I, I've wanted it for like 10 years because I've seen it. I go, that'd make a cool tattoo. So I just sat on it for a really long time because when you get a tattoo, they do last a while. <laughs> right. Hey. You really think it through and make sure because you only have so much canvas. <laughs> And, and you don't want to, uh, with people like us, we don't want to use our foreheads for canvas. It just doesn't nope. go well. Right. Not good. All right. Now, leading with ta tattoos, you're, you're known for being outside the box. You're known, uh, your church is known for that. Uh, first, I'll say, was that a deliberate decision on your part, or is that just kind of how it's formed over time because of your calling? Um. That, that's a great question because I really believe most people really ought to be who they are. So this really is who I am. I ride motorcycles. I got all my, some people think that I got my tattoos back in my drug days, you know, and drinking. I'm like, nope, I've got all my tattoos since I've been a pastor. Um, I, I, I live my life and I am a pastor, but that doesn't mean that I have to fit into this stereotypical of, you know, what pastors traditionally have done. Um, when God called me, he saved me, he called me, I fell in love with him. Man, I love him. And all I really felt was the mandate to love him with all my heart, soul, and strength, and then love people the same way. But it doesn't, it didn't tell me how I got to dress, how I got to act, you know, do this and do that. Um, so really, if you, even if you look in my office, you see, man, skulls everywhere. You see pictures of race cars that I've driven, you know, I've owned and driven. There's a painting right behind me of uh, racing a motorcycle, you know, Grand Prix motorcycle racing. That's me. A lady in our church painted that for me. Um, so it, it, it's just genuinely who I am. And my encouragement for every pastor or every guy, woman called to the ministry is he called you use who you are don't be somebody else so does that mean uh, that most people who are leading or pastors would need to go on a self-exploratory in some ways because they've kind of got into that mentality of this is who i need to be and they would be benefited by you know just thinking about what they enjoy or that kind of thing I, I think they really would. The problem is most people, as they've come up through the church, they've already been so indoctrinated that they don't know how to ask themselves, what do they really, who are they really? Because they have so modeled themselves after, well, this is the church model. I mean, I found this when I went to college right away. I found out that most Christians are playing a game. They learn how to play the game. They speak the right language. They know the right moves to make. Um, I, I remember at North Central, the district superintendent was walking down the, the hallway and he goes, one guy nudged me and said, hey, there's the district superintendent. I didn't even know what a district superintendent was, you know? And, and, and you know, he, he straightened up a little bit and he, whatever. And I found out that Christians did a lot of this stuff. And I found out really early that it's, man, you, 
you don't smoke, you don't drink, you don't dance, you don't get tattoos, you don't ride a motorcycle. You know, nowhere is it really stated in the scriptures to do this stuff. But I found out that there are very strict rules unwritten that everybody understands when they're playing this game called Christianity. Okay? It's just a big game. And they know what to do, what not to do, how to act. If I do this, you know, put a bumper sticker on your car. Oh, you get 10 points. Move 10 10 steps forward. <laughs> you know, you used a word that was almost a cuss word. Ooh, take away five points. You know, you're not very righteous. And, and it was just all this game. So for me, when I came into this, I realized that everybody has a stereotype of what it means to be a Christian. Be it good or bad. They're the stereotype. You know, non-Christians have the stereotype that God's far away. He's impersonal. And he's anxious to punish. Well, I found out from reading the scriptures He's not far away. The Bible says he's as near as the mention of his name. He's not impersonal. In fact, you and I know he's very personal. He has the very hairs of our head numbered. He knows the words that we're going to say before they're on our lips. And the reality is, the stereotype is that he's anxious to punish. He's not anxious to punish. Oh, he is anxious to forgive. You know, confess your sins and I'll, you know, he'll freely and justly forgive us. Um, come to me, all who are labor and a heavy laden. So the perception that non-Christians have of God is wrong. The stereotype's all wrong. And I think for most Christians, their stereotype is all wrong too. They, they, again, in my perspective, put it rather crassly, they're plastic. They've learned how to play the game. They say the right stuff. They act the right way. And they've, they've kind of modeled their way through all that. And I want to break that stereotype. I want people, and I love it when people go, God, you don't look like a pastor. I say, thank you. Well, so someone who's listening to this and they, they're like, oh yeah, that I've, I've gotten down that road, uh, maybe as a leader, uh, what would you advise them to break out of that? How, how would you, uh, you know, cause you, they can't see what you're doing necessarily that on, online or whatever that right. they're in their own setting and they, they realize, okay, I, I've been in church for years. Uh, how, how would you advise them to, to move to a new place? Okay. Um, I'll try to tell a real lengthy story quickly, but it, and people, if you're listening, people who are listening, they really need to follow through on what I'm trying to say here to answer your question. What should they do? Here inherently is our problem, okay? Um, I'll tell two quick stories. Christians have forgotten, at least from my perspective, most Christians have forgotten a scripture verse they quote a lot. Train a child in the way that he shall go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. So we indoctrinate kids in this game, this game called Christianity. They know and they start learning. This is how you act if you want respect. This is how you do this. You don't say this. You don't do that. You, you know. So they get all this thing together. So then we send them away to, to Bible college. And they get some of the best cutting edge leading education that they can possibly get. I mean, good education. Our colleges do a great job teaching kids, okay? So they leave there with some of the greatest leadership stuff, all that and they guess what they do when they leave. What's that? It's the scripture verse I just said. They go back to the same way they were taught in their growing up. Train a child in the way that he shall go. 
And when he's old, even after you send him through four years of Bible college, he will return the like manner as he left. I mean, it's just incredible. So second story to answer that question. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, back, uh, back in like the, I don't know what it was, you know, the, the 14th century or whatever, the, the scholars got together and they wanted to determine who was the real biblical Jesus. I mean, really, what was he like? Because centuries have layered over him man's opinion, expectation, biases. You know, Jesus became what they felt was in the image of themselves. They're, you know, they made him up. So they really wanted to go in and strip away all the layers of the onion and come down to and discover who is, I mean, who was Jesus really? So to answer the same question, who can I really be? What does Jesus really approve of? Okay, so they stripped away all these layers, and they tried to be as objective as they could. Okay, so this was the 14th century, right? So they get all done, and you know what they discovered? Jesus was a 14th century German. <laughs> what they did is they discovered themselves. Again, it is so hard because most pastors, they're not given the freedom to be who they really are for two reasons. Number one, they really don't know who they are. And secondly, they're constantly working at getting the approval of the people in their church. And their church wants to put them on a pedestal. So he tries to stay up there and he can never be him true self. That's true. Well, the answer to the question is very complicated. So John Q. Public out there listening, how do I discover, discover who I really, really am? The real tragedy is the congregation, he would have to have courage like you can't imagine to really start letting his true self out. I mean, people here know I'm not perfect. I let people know all the time, hey, listen, I'm not perfect. And they know by listening to me, I'm not perfect, you know? But that was never part of the job description. Jesus never said, I'm calling you because you're going to be perfect. He called me to preach the word, to love him and love people. So that's what I spend most of my time and energy on. Well, and staying in the theme of uh, building, breaking out of stereotypes, uh, if we die, drill down on one example yeah uh, yeah you you have a boxing ring in yes. your church building uh, if uh, can you kind of tell the story of uh, I, I don't actually know the this is probably bad research but i i don't know the answer of of, of how, how did you come to have a boxing ring in your church well you know they say kevin be careful ask a question you don't know the answer to i know that oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, there's a boxing ring in here because so many times I wanted to beat the crap out of people. So I thought if we have a boxing ring, I could invite them upstairs. <laughs> All right, yep. I, I probably shouldn't have asked that question. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You know that that's not the true answer. Um, you know, with everything, our car show, our bike blessing, our game dinner, all these things are outreaches that we do to try to help, again, break people's stereotypes. Want people to see that we as Christians can love God Pentecostally, 
with all our heart and still have a regular life. I mean, we still do stuff. So one day a guy came to me and asked me about, could he, could he start a boxing ministry here? So, you know, after praying about it and talking to him through how are we going to do all this, I said, sure. So it's nothing I dreamt up. It's nothing I started. Um, he asked for permission to do it, and I gave him my blessing and said, yeah, go ahead. And, and that's really how it started. Is that uh, most of the things that kind of have developed, like, like the blessing of the bikes, how much, how much is kind of you and the team comes up with, and how much of it is uh, seeing what God is stirring within the congregation and going from that direction? Um, wow. You know, I think it's obviously there's a lot of each. The car show I started, I, it was a passion of mine, and there's a long story behind it, but I, I really feel it was a God thing to do. And we've been doing that now for 26 years. And the blessing of the bikes was a similar thing, kind of had the idea. Early, turn it off. Again, just like the car show, I led it for a couple of years. Um, the bike blessing, I was key in leading it for a couple of years, but I don't, I don't do those things anymore. There's teams of people in our church who take care of all that. Last year, for the blessing of the bikes, we had 1,100 motorcycles show up. 1,100 and we had four lines going constantly right through the lobby of the church, going in the front doors, driving all the way through the lobby, stopping in the middle, getting prayed for, and then driving out the back. Um, other things like um, our, our sugar rush, the Halloween ministry, um, that was developed by our children's pastor. Had this idea, again, years ago. Said, hey, Pastor Mike, what if we do this? I go, sounds like a great idea. Let's do it. The boxing ring. That wasn't my idea. Other people say, hey, we should do this. Um, the game dinner, uh, that stuff was, we've been doing that so long. I don't, again, I don't know if I started it or somebody else suggested it. And it really doesn't matter. It's, we're trying to take real life things that, that people that we do and, and do them. One part, I, I mean, just for your context, part of the reason I wanted to have you on the show is a, the kind of the heartbeat of this is saying, if God has put something in your heart, it doesn't have to fit the mold uh, that everyone else has for you. There's, there's so many things that God can, he's a creative God and there's a hundred different expressions that for a hundred different people. Uh, and you're definitely have embraced that idea and any uh, encouragement that someone listening can say, okay, uh, if he can do it, I can, I can, you know, whatever crazy idea God's put in yeah. my mind. <laughs> yep. uh, what, uh, and maybe just, could you speak directly to that person who's like, that God's put something in there and you're, they're like, ah, I don't know if that's going to, you know, hey, any encouragement? I would love to, because here's, here's the thing. I would love to encourage it. And there's where it goes back to something we had talked about earlier. Every pastor needs to discover, well, who are you? What do you like to do? Because when you're doing something you like, you're usually at your best. You're creative, you're happy, you've got passion, you're enthusiastic. Draw other people to you while you do that. That's called ministry. So I can't encourage pastors enough. I mean, if you like golf, start a golf club in your church. If you like whittling, I mean, I'm, I'm not kidding. Start a whittling club. If you like knitting, 
and, and I'm serious about this. I'm not mocking or making fun. Start a knitting club, selling guys a knit. I don't care what it is. Whatever you like or is involved in your life, do it. Because men, if you, especially if you're going to have a strong ministry to men, you have got to be around them. So you've got to find something that they're doing and join them, or you got to do something and invite them to join you. You got to be with the guys. Hey. And that's one of the things I, I loved uh, about our time to, when we'd get together. I, just This is just me taking a moment to brag on you. I, I loved uh, Now, it was always going to the restaurant was a taking my life in my own hands because we'd get on the back of your bike or take, take one of your sports cars and you know, you'd want to <laughs> test it out. But when we got to the restaurant, about half the time we were there, you were uh, getting up and talking to somebody else that was in there or something like that, because it, you, you've, you've invested in the community. You've gotten to know the community uh, and you love the community that way. So uh, this is not just something you're, you're saying that's really who you are. Yeah. Uh, it, it, like I said, it's just genuine to who I am. I, I'm not a pastor and put that on like a robe. I'm Mike Hazeltine, who happens to be a pastor. Hey, speaking of uh, that whole be knowing your community, uh, what are the strengths and benefits? Because you, you grew up in Forest Lake. This is uh, where you, uh, which I'm guessing cuts both ways on the, the good and the bad. Uh, everyone knows you and everyone, you know, uh, I was reading an article in preparation for this conversation where they are saying, uh, uh, you know, the same people that he sold drugs to now he's pastoring or something along that line. Uh, what would you say it are the, the strengths and the challenges that come with that? Well, the strengths and the challenges were honestly only in the first five, 10 years. After that, um, that changes. And I'll address that in a second. But initially, it was a little tough because you're right. The cops all knew who I was. You know, the teachers in the high school, they all knew who I was. So many people in the community, they knew who I was. Um, and not that I was a bad, horrible person. I was a good person. I just liked drugs you know, and I liked to do drugs. And so, so a lot of the people, you know, cause now we're young kids getting married and now people, my classmates of the, which there was over 400 and a lot of them stay in the community. They're going, Hey, you know, Pat, Mike Hazeltine, he's a pastor. He started a church over there. You know, it's like, so there was, there was a lot of that kind of, you know, a prophet without honor in his hometown. But, I say it only lasted that five to 10 years because statistically, I think Barner research shows that any pastor is going into a community. It takes seven years for that community to trust him. So if pastors don't stay in a community at least seven years, they haven't even begun to enjoy the fruits or the benefits of being in that, in that community. So after that five to 10 years, now I, I was really literally earning by what I did, my own reputation, not what the past was. So obviously for anybody today, after having pastored in this community for 40 years, they don't even know about my past, you know? 
they just see me as a community leader, somebody who's, you know, helping out the police department, fire department, helping out just, I mean, we're just invested in our community. Well, what, and now in being there 40 years, what, what are some of the fruits of being able to be there that long? Trust. It, it really is trust. Um, principals, um, chiefs of police, they trust me. And there's times they will come to me and ask me for some help on this, or how can we help and support this? Um, gal, there's just this reputation of the church. And that again, the church in this case, symbolized by me, the senior pastor, you know, when people say the church, well, real often they mean the pastor, the ones making the decisions. And, you know, he's the lightning rod for this thing called the church. Um, unfortunately one of the negative things about being here this long too though some people think i own this <laughs> you know because i started it i've been here forever and they're business owners and they think hey they started a business and they think just because they don't understand church world they think i'm this multi-millionaire because look at what i've built and look at what i own and as you and i are both laughing right now we realize i yeah sure i've been instrumental to be a part of this you know, this building now is, you know, worth over $8 million. But if I walk away tomorrow, I walk away with nothing. The church owes me nothing. It's not mine. No part of it is mine. But I love that because that means you're, that's, <laughs> that's the conversation of people out in the real world that don't, yeah, you have to educate people on how a church even works, you know. Yep. That's, uh, that's they do. A, and from time to time, I have, you know, business people say, yeah, but you're doing pretty well. And I go, why? You know what I make? <laughs> you know, and they'll look at me like, well, no, look at the building. And then I have to inform them. I don't own that. Yeah, but you built it. No, you know something? There's a board. I am an employee. I just work there. And you can get fired. Uh, so hopefully this conversation, yes. and it doesn't get you there, but <laughs> uh, having, you said 40 years, uh, what, where is God stretching you now? Because at least with me going, uh, you know, I've been saved for 40 years. Uh, God still stretching me, never lets me, you know, kind of sit there uh, i'm guessing the same would be true for you is there anything in your in your either it's a church or a, personally that you think oh god's really kind of still stretching me in this area oh man without a doubt i feel stretched in so many areas all the time um i think the biggest stretch you know this idea of staying relevant i, I don't really like the concept because the gospel is always relevant I don't have to target a certain people group. And I understand there's times and places for that. Don't get me wrong. Um, but the gospel, the good news, addresses every person, every need, every culture, every point in time in history. Fundamentally, that's what I believe. And so, I, I, man, the message is the message. So the challenge for me now is to change some of the word pictures that I've used for so many years um people don't know who cliff clavin is anymore you know they don't know some of these just to use that as an illustration so the the younger generation how to connect to them is is interesting i personally am coming to the idea that 
Gen Xers, people just don't go to church because like they used to, they felt obligated. Well, when they get married, they have kids, they're going to go to church. They don't feel like that anyway, anymore. They want to be a part of something that's valuable, that's real, that's going to make a difference. They're not going to go to it just because it's a church. So that falls into my favor because I'm real. It's practical. It's a, but it still is work to attract them to this because I am very conservative. I know that people find that hard to believe, but I am very conservative doctrinally. So you're going to hear from the pulpit about homosexuality, you know, about fornication, about abortion. You're going to hear me being some political issues in the pulpit because to me, they're not political issues. They're moral issues that they're discussing in the public eye, making it, you know, a, a uh, um, uh, political issue. It's really not. It's a moral issue. And I feel obligated to speak out on every moral issue, just the way it is. So I'm, I'm challenged in that. Um, whenever I read the scriptures and he, and he speaks pretty directly, like even in John 6, and people start leaving him, to realize that, you know, there's that balance. Are you going to be so safe you don't alienate anybody? Are you going to speak enough truth that every once in a while you're going to lose some? That's, that, I think, is the cutting-edge challenge for most pastors. Um, because if, if some people are not leaving your church, I would suspect you're not doing a good job. <laughs> you know? I, I, I tragically, I have this one-liner. I've used it for 40 years because I've observed most pastors are trying to keep their job. They're not doing it. Can you pack, unpack that a little bit more? Okay. So what they're doing is they're working to keep their job. I can't speak on this issue because so-and-so in the church, they're good givers. And if I say that, they're going to be offended and they can't go. So, and if I say this, those other people are going to be offended because it's, so pretty soon you're not, you're just working to keep your job. You just, you say this and you stop short because, well, you want to keep your job because you, and again, I understand the pressures always have. You have a mortgage to keep. If these people leave, you can't pay the mortgage. You can't pay salaries. You might lose your job. So they, they just keep playing it safer and safer and safer. So pretty soon, you're just working to keep a job. You become very good at, you know, catering to different families and just doing the job. Your job becomes to keep your job, kind of like politicians. When instead, you're called to do a job. And sometimes that makes you an equal opportunity pisser offer. It's, I don't care who you are. This is the truth of the gospel. The way it is. Now, spoken in love, couched in incredible understanding, not just as harshly as I just put it, but realistically, you have to stand up to some of those people that are pushing against you. Hey, if you do that again, or if you don't say this, you know something? There's where you earn your pay in God's eyes. Well, that's the, that's the, that's the balance of the, you're working for God, <laughs> ultimately. Ultimately. And that's where we, uh, we don't always see our rewards this side of heaven. That's true. Uh, and as we're starting to wrap up here, uh, 
any kind of things that are on your heart that, you know, maybe it's recurring things that uh, you always like to tell pastors or uh, church people that kind of, uh, I'm giving you a, a softball here. If there's something, wow. that's, something that you're like, hey, if I get a microphone, I like to speak to this topic. Uh, uh, and it, it doesn't happen. Oh, or you can just steer to something nice and safe so I don't lose half my audience. Whatever, whatever you'd like to do. Hey, here's the deal. Your audience can't get mad at you, Kevin. They can't get mad at me. You know, so they can't take it out on you. So, so you're safe by throwing the, the, the softball up there. God, you know, Kevin, there are so many issues that I could pontificate on that are hobby horses for me, that are passionate. Um, I, I just, the one thing I mentioned, made allusion to before, Christianity is not a game. And I just use, it's just a game. It's, it's terrible. Another thing that's passionate with me is I want to see the, the, the church be more Pentecostal. You know, we're, we're Pentecostals. And it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. That has become an unfortunate dead byline. I grew up and I came out of the charismatic movement where to sing in the spirit, to worship, to see the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water um, was the norm. Um, now we've become far too often just lively Lutherans. Um, uh, so, so I'm really passionate about that. I'm uh, what, really is, uh, what is that? Uh, I mean, I, I know you know, well enough to know some of this, but uh, what, what does that mean a little bit more as far as uh, what does the church look like? Because uh, you're not you're not the box of what people would think of a Pentecostal. No. Uh, so, what, but you're still passionate about it. What does that look like? It looks like um, obviously praying for the sick during the service. Um, the biggest thing is this: you can't want what you've never seen. So we tell people, really, you should really, really want the holy, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. How do they see that, Kevin? They, they don't. Because here's where you normally will see it. When you see people in church singing in the spirit. If nobody is singing in the spirit, how can people want the baptism of the spirit? So practically fleshed out, that's it for me. I mean, man, we, we got to... I can't remember the last time I've been in service and I'm around AG people all the time, Pentecostal people in name. Anyway, we don't ever sing in the spirit. Now we do here, but even here, not near enough, not near often enough, not fluently enough. And again, people, if they don't have the opportunity, when are they going to do it? Right. You can't want what you've never seen. But in any of our churches, we are not creating a hunger for the Holy Spirit. Why? Because in what way do they see it? So that, that's passionate with me. That's um, another, another really passionate thing with me is Luke 2.52. That around our church is fundamental. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. We talk all the time around here about the four quadrants of your life. Now, we got this relationship with God, you know, growing spiritually, favor with God. Man, we emphasize that. Most churches do. But they forget the other aspects. 
and way too often Christians are about as smart as a box of rocks. You know, Jesus grew in wisdom. He, he knew how to think. Jesus came to take away our sins, not our brains. And I see far too many Christians, they don't know how to logically think through issues practically and really carry on an apologetic debate or what, because they, they've never stimulated their intellect. Um, and then he grows in favor with God, grows spiritually. Uh, he, grow in, he grew in stature, grow physically. Um, again, this to me is a crying shame. We don't smoke, drink, chew, you know, go with girls who do, but we weigh 400 pounds. There's no problem with that. You know, hey, to be physically healthy, and I'm not trying to say you got to be a Barbie doll or you got to be a Ken doll. What I'm trying to say is there is so lack of self-control, so poor health. Um, if we apply the same standard to our weight and self-control as we do to alcohol or smoking or dances or whatever, th there's, there's no comparison. There is absolutely no comparison. And there's where I think the world looks at us and goes, you guys are a bunch of hypocrites. You pick and choose. That's important, but this isn't. So that's a hobby horse of mine. Well, and he grew I, I, socially, grew in favor with man. Um, he grew socially. Um, I don't care if you know everything there is to be known, but if people don't like you, you don't know how to get along with people, you've kind of missed the boat. Which, again, uh, this is something that during our probably – 15 or more, well, it was over 15 years ago when we were meeting uh, one of the things i loved was uh, when we'd be in a setting how often you'd go back you know like maybe as a pastor's gathering you'd go back and thank the 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 people in the kitchen who are serving and uh, so this is not just a, a you know for show thing it's just who you are and uh, out of the outflow of your life that you've you've chosen uh, to to make relationships important uh as I, we, kevin i genuinely believe it's important you're right it is it's a part of my life it's not something i even think about doing it's kind of like putting away your grocery cart unless you're at aldi's and you get your quarter back for the <laughs> for yeah, yeah yeah i'm talking about like Menard, Walmart, i know you know? <laughs> to me, it determines if you're a good member of society or a bad one. I mean, it, you put your cart back. You're responsible for yourself. As a guy, you're in the bathroom. You pee all over the seat. Wipe it up. That's your pee. Oh, but you know something? I won't do that. I see people leave messes in bathrooms all the time. But you know something? They would never drink or never smoke. Oh, they're so godly. They're missing the point. <laughs> Kevin, Al, it's been fun to be with you. Yeah, that was, that was good. <laughs> this is a great place to land the plane right here <laughs> with, with, uh, with, uh, with our bathroom story. All right. If people are wanting to learn more, is it it's realchurch.org is Correct. where yep. you can find out about your church. Anywhere else <laughs> online that you want to send anyone as far as you know, I think if they just go to our, our website, they can go to my podcast, uh, No Wimps Allowed. Uh, they'll go on Facebook. They'll see lately over this coronavirus, I have a piece on there that I do every night at 630. One night is joke night. One night I interview my parents. Uh, one night I, um, I read 
children's books. Every Sunday night, I read children's books to those who tune in. Um, so there's, there's a plethora of stuff. If they just go to our website, they'll see all kinds of things. Perfect. So we'll put that in the show notes as well so people can find that. Well, Pastor Mike, this has been fun. Uh, it has been. I'm glad we could uh, share it. Uh, until next time, everyone listening, uh, uh, you can find us at ChristConnection.cc slash podcast. And thanks for listening.